Well, hello everyone. This is Data Driven Formula One with Patrick Hansen, Ghana Pagrabna. Hello Ghana. Hello all, wherever you are. Oh, hi Patrick. So today we have a special uh, right. topic. <laughs> and because it's uh, closely related to Ferrari and Italy, as usual, Patrick is, is a lot more knowledgeable about it than me. So the story of um, in Farina Sigma Grand Prix 1969. Yeah, uh, it's something like a, a bonus episode as we practically uh, finished the 1960s. So next we'll start with the 70s. So this could be uh, said as one of uh, bonus episode. I think it will be quite interesting. Uh, as you know, we had unfortunately uh, many fatal accidents um, this decade and also before. And every time we uh, explained uh, that uh, safety measures uh, had been adapted uh, due to, uh, to learn out of these uh, fatal accidents. And uh, today we are speaking about uh, this uh, Sigma Grand Prix 1969 which was um, uh, inspired uh, uh, especially on the uh, fire accident um, by Lorenzo Bandini in uh, Monaco. And uh, it's technically based on a, a Ferrari, which we will see. And I think it's a quite interesting story, uh, especially as I had the pleasure um, to be in contact with its uh, designer, uh, Paolo uh, Martin. So, uh, we have some uh, quite good uh, information here, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, the car looks very futuristic for 1969. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, but, but let's say if we see a lot of the uh, prototypes from 1969, uh, uh, Maybe inspired by uh, the movie uh, 2001, which uh, came out, I think, in 1968. We had a lot of uh, futuristic um, car designs, uh, uh, especially known as the uh, wedge design, as many designers, uh, designers experimented with car designs, having the engine uh, behind uh, the driver. We had uh, really some very spectacular uh, studies as the 512 Ferrari Modulo, which uh, we will see a little bit uh, later today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this car looks uh, like uh, looks like a toy. <laughs> it's just uh, the only thing that that probably tells us that this is the real car is the, uh, the positioning of the rear wing. Uh, on the back at a kind of significant height that is very characteristic right. of the late 1960s. Uh, but which right. would, and, yeah. and of course there had been ta uh, toys uh, produced uh, yes. as <laughs> cars. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, uh, okay, so let's uh, speak first a little bit uh, about uh, the man, uh, Paolo uh, Martin, which uh, has been born in May 1943 in uh, Turin, Italy. So when he, he did this study, uh, he was uh, still quite, uh, quite uh, young. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, he was uh, quite diligent. So he really did a lot of these uh, prototypes, which I've mentioned and also uh, did some uh, cars who made it uh, 
really on the road later in the 70s and uh, 80s. So he was uh, working uh, at that time at uh, Pininfarina. Pininfarina, of course, a very well-known uh, Italian uh, name. Also a name which we already spoke about here in our um, videos slash podcast as the first uh, Formula One champion had been uh, Nino Farina and uh, Batista Pininfarina, uh, or also known as Pininfarina, uh, was his uh, uncle. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, the uh, so so he, he it, it it's uh, evident from the list that he produced quite a lot of prototypes. Yes. Uh, so was he mostly working on 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 prototype cars, and and, and then only in the seventies he had uh, these uh, kind of race cars yeah. that made it to the to the production more or less. But um, so so why was that uh, the, before the seventies? Is that just because his specialization that, was... That, that's a good question. I mean, uh, uh, as you see, at uh, that time, 1969, he was uh, just uh, 26. So, okay. mm -hmm. uh, so maybe a, an age uh, where you are a little bit more progressively uh, thinking normally, uh, where a little bit more uh, a rebel. And, uh, and of course, the, so this uh, normally companies give you uh, maybe uh, the responsibility to do a prototype, to do something mm -hmm. out of the ordinary, but uh, real cars, uh, so to say, would have been more given the responsibility from a designing point of view to more established uh, designers. Mm -hmm. yeah, interesting. So it's, a, it's a quite an impressive list of uh, prototypes. <laughs> Exactly, uh, he was, uh, and by the way, he still is uh, uh, very uh, talented. Um, uh, I will, uh, we will later recommend uh, his books, uh, where you mm -hmm. can see all of his designs, prototypes, and st also street cars. And also, we will uh, put a link to his uh, YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. So you see here uh, a list. Uh, these are the cars who really made it uh, into uh, production. There mm -hmm. we see uh, roadsters like the Triumph Spitfire, uh, a luxury car like the Rolls-Royce uh, Camargue, uh, the Fiat 130 Coupe, mm -hmm. or the Lancia Beta Monte Carlo, uh, but also um, cars like the Fiat, uh, sorry, uh, like the Peugeot 104. And one of the examples we see here on the photo, which is the Fiat 130 Coupe, we see a quite uh, typical design for the 70s, uh, beginning of 80s, uh, quite uh, edgy design, quite clear uh, lines. The same uh, we would also see with the Rolls-Royce uh, Camargue, which have been quite edgy, quad quadratic uh, cars, so not nothing round, like maybe earlier in the 60s. Mm -hmm. So he worked on all of these cars, right? Is that yes, these wow. are the cars who had been designed uh, mm -hmm. by him. But uh, what uh, what is impressive from from this is that uh, it's uh, it's completely different, uh, completely different companies, not even in the same country, right? So uh, yes, uh, um, but at that British, time, uh, Italian, uh, French. Yeah, but at that time it was still quite uh, common that the big car manufacturers not designed their cars in-house, but uh, went to professional designing companies such as uh, Pininfarina mm -hmm. or uh, Bertone, for example. Mm -hmm. 
and especially uh, French companies uh, used a lot of uh, Italian designers. This, uh, I think today it, this changed uh, a little bit as most of the countries, so most of the companies have now their own internal design mm -hmm. departments. So it's not that common as uh, before that uh, you go to such an uh, external company to let your car design. Yeah, because I'm thinking that probably in the in in the uh, in the current conditions, not uh, uh, every designer. But I was gonna say probably none of the designers could could say that they worked for this many different companies. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, and with this, uh, let's see a little bit about his concept designs. On the right, you see maybe his most uh, famous. A creation, the Ferrari 512 uh, Modulo. Mm -hmm. uh, I had the pleasure to see that car uh, in person maybe five years ago here as there was an um, exposition in the High Museum of Modern Art in Atlanta where they presented uh, such as, um, spectacular uh, designs from all over the world. So there had been uh, cars from the 50s, 60s, uh, mostly from the US, but also uh, some from Europe, uh, two from Italy. Uh, one was the Ferrari 512, and the other one was the Lancia Stratos Zero, also a uh, quite well-known concept car. Um, similar as the Sigma, this 512 is based on a race car uh, on the, uh, as you can imagine, the Ferrari 512. Mm -hmm. which uh, had so, been raised in, in sports car like Le Mans. It looks like it's about to fly. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it looks like, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the devices in, in um, uh, I guess, fanta fantasy books uh, that fly. Right. <laughs> yeah. it, it really, it really uh, does. And uh, the car uh, may be up, until like oh, five years ago also it was uh, part of the Pininfarina uh, Museum in Italy mm -hmm. but the company uh, sold it uh, to uh, Glickenhausen which uh, is, uh, was in the past uh, pro producer let's say of uh, B movies but then started uh, his uh, own uh, racing team and uh, he bought uh, various uh, Ferraris, uh, I like also the here mentioned 1967 Dino Berlinetta Competizione, which was a concept which led uh, later to the Ferrari Dino. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and uh, so he bought this uh, car from Pininfarina and uh, restored it with the idea to not only have it in the museum, but really drive it. So you can see it sometimes at some uh, events here in the US or also some uh, some kind of special events where they really uh, drive this car. Yeah, impressive, impressive. It is uh, really. Okay. I have an, I cannot even imagine how like what 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 it is like to to drive something like that. It must be a, Ma quite an experience. Must be quite difficult as it's. Uh, I mean, this is a car. Uh, from the end of the 1960s, it, um, because, let me go back shortly, 
Uh, it was um, realized in 1970, but uh, in reality, it was designed by Paolo Martin already in 1968. So it took Pininfarina two years to really give the okay to uh, produce this, let's say, this crazy thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, so uh, what I wanted to say is uh, today, of course, it wouldn't be that difficult to drive because you would put uh, cameras in the front, in the back, on the side so that you can see uh, what happens around you. But uh, of course, such camera technologies had not been uh, developed at that time. So it's really quite difficult to drive this car. Yeah, it's like blind, blind driving. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And quite interesting, maybe you see it from the photo. It does not have normal uh, side doors, but uh, all of the uh, cockpit uh, is uh, going uh, uh, up. Going so up, this yeah. is the way how you get in and uh, how you get out. Mm -hmm. Okay, but let's go uh, now directly to the project, the Sigma Grand Prix. It started at... Uh, in Switzerland, where the car magazine, the Automobile Revenue, uh, which was quite uh, famous uh, at that time, suggested review, right? uh, Automobile Review. Yeah. Okay. Right. So they just uh, suggested uh, Pininfarina, a project to develop a potential Grand Prix car to test and include uh, different safety uh, devices. I said, uh, Paolo Martino was quite young, but he was uh, like the rising star inside uh, the Pininfarina company and due to this uh, received uh, the task to create this uh, Grand Prix. Um, at the end, uh, we will recommend his book, which uh, is uh, tra translated into Dreaming in uh, Three Dimensions. So one of uh, what he always um, mentioned is that uh, he's somebody who dreams in uh, three dimensions and uh, due to this, his models had been like an impression of his uh, original ideas. Um, Pininfarina, uh, of course, close to Ferrari, uh, but nevertheless, they never had been included um, into their Formula One uh, activities. Nevertheless, uh, Ferrari uh, supported uh, this uh, project and gave Pininfarina some, uh, some uh, of their old uh, Formula One cars, the 312, including uh, the 12-cylinder engine. And uh, important and uh, interesting in this project is that uh, Paolo and as mentioned Pinafarina, they didn't have any experience about Formula One. So this is the vision mm -hmm. of somebody coming from the outside uh, uh, thinking about how a, a new Formula One car could look like. Um, maybe not uh, common, but let's say it's quite what we understand today as disruption where somebody from an outside industry comes to revolutionize your product as for example Apple presented the iPod without having experience with music or like Elon Musk comes with Tesla and bringing in a complete new electric car without having and a space travel. <laughs> or space travel right so it, it is but that's impressive for also not it's only because you know he 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 managed to to imagine it and and, uh, to, and implement it but also uh, that the company took this risk right so in a mm -hmm. sense uh, they 
recruited uh, a designer who, I mean, did a lot of con concept cars, but didn't yeah. do a Formula car, Formula One car before. So that's quite a quite an interesting decision to make. Yes. And also uh, interesting is that uh, he had a, got a lot of uh, liberties uh, by his manager, so he was practically free to do how he imagined this. He not, didn't have uh, strict uh, boundaries which he had to comply with, but he really had uh, all the freedom uh, to uh, create this design. And this you may align with a famous quote by Steve Jobs, who once said, it doesn't make sense to hire smart people and tell them what to do. We hire smart people so they can tell us what to do. And I mm -hmm. think this is a very good example for this uh, philosophy. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and uh, I guess a part of it uh, must have been that uh, the, you know, the, the budget was probably quite uh, generous for this. Otherwise, you know, if you normally the restrictions apply to materials, right, and to uh, implementation. So, yeah, uh, they probably just could afford to give him freedom and uh, yes uh, it's um, yeah it's also quite uh, quite unique situation for a designer when you have uh, no restriction <laughs> yeah and of course this is the situation uh, you you really enjoy if you're a creative uh, person and you're right yeah as we all as we all know uh, if you if you worked like myself and patrick uh, in uh, some sort of leadership role it's normally you know you you come to a new job and your boss normally tells you oh <laughs> you know right. you have you can do whatever you want <laughs> and then you find out that it's always uh, some sort of you need to balance between yes. having people and having equipment <laughs> right. it's a balancing act right and you're trying to find a way to to, to actually get the best team and um, the best resources for the team to be able to work. So it's, uh, yeah, I think in that sense, uh, it, it's a very lucky position to be at when, you know, your employer really gives you kind of complete freedom and says, okay, we have the budget to implement your vision. That's uh, uh, correct. And uh, luckily, uh, Pininfarina was in this situation as it was uh, supported by the Swiss uh, car magazine and also was uh, supported by the Scuderia Ferrari, who gave them practically the base uh, of, uh, of the car. So they just had, let's say, to, do, to design it. And then, of course, they had to build it in uh, some kind um, of uh, wood materials, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Um, as uh, mentioned in the beginning, uh, the situation uh, was in Formula One that it was a very dangerous sports, uh, much more dangerous than uh, today. But on the other hand, uh, it was a sports who was uh, growing uh, uh, the number of uh, fans. Mm -hmm. So uh, that um, pressures, of course, the organizers um, uh, to implement additional safety uh, measures to protect uh, the drivers first of all, but also uh, the fans as we had uh, various accidents where not only the drivers lost their life, but also uh, spectators. So there was something, uh, a pressure on the organizers uh, to implement such safety measures as uh, if not, uh, there was a risk that the uh, followers of Formula One uh, would not grow anymore or would even uh, decline again. And this was the uh, situation 
uh, and let's say the task which Pinin Farina wanted to answer with this uh, Sigma Grand Prix. Right, and, and if you, you watch us on YouTube, uh, we, we showed you already several photos of this car. Another Im impressive thing is that uh, actually Sigma is drawn uh, on top of the bumper, yep. uh, which, is, uh, which is not something that you see very often. Normally, kind of the name, the, the, the name of the car, in a sense, is hidden somewhere, right? But here it's right, st straight into your eyes. <laughs> yeah, quite. Yeah. And also, uh, even if it's, it's mm -hmm. yeah, even if it's, uh, let's say, uh, somehow uh, a Ferrari, it doesn't have the Ferrari in uh, logo in front, but the uh, Pininfarina logo. Mm -hmm. okay. I'm also, I'm also a big fan of the lemon, uh, <laughs> of the lemon wheels. That's right. <laughs> amazing. Uh, at, at, at the time, uh, there had been. Um, um, various Ferraris which had lemon uh, colored uh, wheels, Alice, not yeah. not in uh, Formula One, but in uh, Le Mans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we we've already shown shown um, uh, the the white Ferrari, um, right? And, and the the wheels, as far as I remember, they were blue. Right. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. So so that's quite a quite a quite. A, Another unusual combination of having white and and lemon uh, colors. Right. So uh, now again, if you're watching us on YouTube, you see the traditional red color for Ferrari, <laughs> and that's Ferrari three three one two yeah three hundred twelve Ferrari three hundred twelve model. Exactly. Also beautiful yes. car. And this is practically the technical base of this study. This is what Binin Farina received from the team to work on. His Paolo Martins manager was Franco Martinego. He was the Binin Farina head of the style danger centres, and he defined the task: try to invent something that will be necessary in order to get hurt, in order to not to get hurt in the race. And uh, Paolo uh, Martin um, thought about it and his vision was uh, to create a Formula One car uh, also with the, uh, a little bit mixed with the endurance uh, car. So it looks a little bit bigger than the Formula One car at that time. And also the weight uh, would have been much heavier than a normal Formula One car. As again, uh, pa uh, Paolo Martin remembered uh, his boss who said, Martin, do what you want. So really, he had all uh, the liberty in the world to create this uh, this uh, vision. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Especially, exactly. especially because it's coming from the designer himself. Because normally you can hear that, but that doesn't realize. <laughs> so, and then in this in this case, yeah, to have unlimited, um, yeah, to, to have basically well, I, I guess they were limited in some way, but practically unlimited yeah, of course. Uh, resources. Yeah, that's great. Yes, and, and also um, something important, and there's uh, some uh, different information um, on the internet. Uh, so Paolo Martin um, liked to uh, point out that uh, this was really a solo project. There not had been uh, other people involved uh, creating this car. So the, uh, this, um, this Pinna Farina Sigma is really uh, his own creation. There was his not baby. Uh, his baby. It, uh, if you read articles on the internet, sometimes it mentioned that there should have been uh, involved um, 
other people in the design, but really uh, uh, Paolo Martin pointed out that this is his baby and he did it alone. And um, normally, uh, if you're working in companies, uh, you, uh, what I try to focus is uh, group culture working uh, together. And of course, this is important. Uh, but let's uh, say from time to time, I think it's also important uh, that you have to uh, the opportunity to create uh, something on your own so that you know what uh, what is your uh, personal idea, your, your personal vision. Uh, and that, uh, when you know what uh, you can do, what you like to do, what are your ideas, of course, you can uh, um, integrate yourself into the group and know what are the the, the benefits of the group uh, based on your participation. Okay, let's speak a little bit some about uh, the details which the, uh, uh, the, Sigma, the Sigma included. For example, it has a front wing integrated into the body and uh, this aerodynamic feature reduced the risk of coupling between the wheels of the cars, especially while Overtaking. overtaking yeah and that's also quite unusual for ferrari right who can traditionally uh, was more focused on engines rather than on aerodynamics so uh, even though they used uh, they used wings it's uh, just a quite an unusual feature to to that's concentrate right. on aerodynamics for for a ferrari car of that you know of that year that's what i mean of course currently they yeah. created aerodynamics, but back in the day, it was engine, engine, engine. <laughs> That's right. Uh, um, but in this particular situation, Ferrari uh, supported, but let's say then they're not tried uh, to influence the, the project. So they're not told Pininfarina uh, what to do, how to do it. But uh, let's say they understood that this is an interesting project. We give you the car. And they not uh, try to influence Pininfarina how they do it. So, and also Paolo Martin at that time never met, let's say, Enzo Ferrari. So he was really not influenced by this uh, vision and really did what uh, he think uh, should be done. And if you see us on uh, YouTube, this uh, concept of the integrated front wing was uh, later uh, realized uh, two years later, to be precise, by uh, Tyrrell. Uh, which had uh, these uh, integrated uh, rings in the body. And I think we can uh, mm -hmm. see it quite good on the photos. Yeah, so that's a Tyrell, we'll show you Tyrell Ford uh, 003, which is uh, very pretty and yeah. very, very 70s. And, and very <laughs> successful. And very successful, that's true, yeah. So, yeah, all in one. <laughs> all in one, right. So uh, this is something... Uh, which have been realized from the ideas. Another point was the full white uh, body. So here the side panels included two separate fuel tanks protected by a series of transverse uh, ribs. Between tank and center of the car had been the buffer area to absorb uh, the shot. Uh, not com a complete mm -hmm. new idea as we already had this in the 1950s with the uh, famous uh, Lancia D50, which had uh, the tanks on the left, on the right, not only for safety, but also for weight distributions reasons. So not a complete new idea. Um, nevertheless, uh, we uh, also a development which we saw uh, later at the end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s, where the cars became uh, much uh, bigger with really this uh, uh, huge uh, side tanks, as we see, for example, on the photo 
uh, on our page, which is um, 9081 Alfa Romeo 179. So you see also uh, the development went into that uh, direction. Right, and it's um, it's also quite um, uh, it's also a feature that probably pleased uh, pleased uh, Ferrari's Ferrari's hearts because right. yeah, I mean this is one of this uh, this iconic look of nineteen fifty four Lancia is mm -hmm. quite unique was quite unique yes. at the time, so um, I don't know what. Um, whether Martin has done some research on, he must have done of research on, on, I'm on, sure on, he did. on Ferrari cars, uh, but so this kind of like a mash from 1954 probably was quite uh, also well received by, by Ferrari. Uh, we can only speculate, but I imagine that some references to previous uh, designs were probably welcome. Yes, and let's say if uh, we remember that uh, Ferrari's focus was on strong engine, a strong engine needs a lot of fuel, so having big tanks, of course, uh, would go into Ferrari's uh, vision. Yes, absolutely. Um, next point uh, of the uh, Sigma is uh, the fixed uh, wing. The, yeah, fixed it had a rear wing over the center line of the car, which was fixed to its frame via two robust incline supports. And this was also uh, something which Paolo uh, Martin included uh, due to the experience uh, um, from the end of the 1960s, especially in the, like uh, in the beginning of 68, the end of 68 or beginning of 69, we had, we had the uh, high front wings in front and back, which uh, of course uh, supported um, the aerodynamics, but uh, as it was quite fragile. And sometimes the cars lost the wings and with this the drivers lost the control and we had some uh, quite uh, strict um, spectacular accidents. So this yeah. is something which anyway got forbidden in, in later this season, but something which Paolo Martin wanted to address with his design. Yeah, I just wanted to say that uh, to, to, to apologize to the, the, the folks who are watching us on YouTube because um, I, I mixed up the, the titles for the photos. Obviously, right. at the, on the bottom, you see Lotus, uh, uh, Lotus car, and at the top, it's uh, Pininfarina. So it's kind of like, yeah, just keep in mind that it's the, the reverse. Um, but I'm, I'm sure for those of you who watched our pre previous episodes, it's not a secret that the bottom, the bottom one is, is Lotus. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. And I Next. believe that's Graham Hill at the wheel. Right. Yeah. It's, it's Graham Hill in, in this 69 uh, car. This is later in the season, as in the beginning, they started with the high wings in front and uh, back. Yes, absolutely. Another uh, feature, and uh, the last one we want to present here, are uh, fixed uh, helmets, because due to Martin Paolo's concept, the helmet had been fixed to the roll bar via a special belt. Uh, this, uh, as uh, he saw that many accidents, the seat belts uh, not worked and also there was a lot of pressure, especially uh, on the head of the drivers. So he wanted uh, uh, to support this with uh, fixing, fixing uh, the uh, helmets directly uh, to the car. And this is something uh, which had been uh, retaken, uh, this idea, like, uh, yep, like, well, so nearly 30 years later, uh, 
where uh, especially Mercedes pushed a system called Hans Head and Neck Support Device, where they had a special um, uh, a special um, plastic metal uh, which the drivers had uh, worn uh, around their neck and the helmets had been uh, fixed with a belt uh, to this construction as you can see uh, on our image and this especially uh, uh, to address the risk which uh, Paolo also identified that uh, especially the drivers had as a vulnerability in the case of an accident. Right, I mean, but, uh, so I think to many people this this would seem counterintuitive because, you know, if you, um, yeah, on the one hand, you probably do not want to, to have too much movement, but then, you know, if something happens inside the car and we've seen um, later in 1970s, 80s and 90s, quite a few accidents when, uh, you know, you need to leave the car really quickly because of... Uh, um, you know, because of fire that uh, that starts in various parts of the car, so that probably wasn't a very good, um, yeah, good, good feature then. Yeah. So I'm, um, you know, it's it's a little bit. I mean, uh, the the logic is clear, right? But uh, it it's it may seem uh, quite counterintuitive. Why would you want to fix uh, the helmet to the seat, uh, especially? when you know the the the, the seat is itself could possess you know quite dangerous features in case of uh, collision yeah so but i mean that's that indeed uh, this is the feature of the design that was kind of uh, seen throughout the history of formula one quite a lot yeah. and uh, in, in terms of you know the, the safety analytics it actually makes sense even though it seems quite counterintuitive yeah and uh, especially, uh, as you said, the problem, of course, if you uh, fix the helmet to the car is that if you have to uh, leave the car quite fast, uh, this is a problem. And maybe this is the mm -hmm. reason why this last uh, feature was practically the, the idea that took the most time to get uh, implemented into Formula One. Yes, absolutely. And uh, we will, uh, when we discuss uh, next uh, years of Formula One, we will see quite a few examples when that was necessary. And uh, the speed with which you are, um, you are leaving the car could, could actually define whether you live or die. And uh, yeah, in that sense. But I imagine there were some probably, there was some, some, some way to get it, you know, un untangled. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't know what it was, but it probably was some quick way of yes. getting out of there. Yeah. Yes, and we also uh, still have to remember in the 1960s, uh, there was a lot of development around the helmet. In Practically in the 1960s, there still had been the open helmets like in uh, 1950s and then uh, slowly um, the drivers changed uh, to fully closed helmets at the end of the decade. So it was really a, a decade where there was a lot of development, thinking about helmets, thinking about uh, the driver's head. Absolutely. And we also saw more uh, more of a pronounced uh, uniforms, uh, you know, li livery on the drivers, not just the cars. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's that. That was uh, also quite characteristics of characteristic of 1970s, 1960s, 1970s, where it became not only you know the 
the uh, the colors uh, of um, of the team, right? Uh, the drivers were practically driving in whatever. I mean, uh, I remember that when we showed some of the um, Nina Farina's pictures, he practically is just wearing like a leather jacket, right? Mm. Um, yes. Whereas, you know, we kind of started to see overall some more functional clothes for the drivers. And uh, Patrick and I, we promised that we're going to do the helmet, um, uh, the, the, the helmet episode, and we might do the the, the, the fashion, <laughs> Formula One fashion episode, when we will actually also look at the the way in which drivers were dressed. Uh, right. I mean, today, practically, the drivers changed their design from, from weekend to weekend, even if I understand that uh, the, uh, the organizers want to uh, push this back a little bit that they have more or less one design for a year. Yeah, but um, currently it's, uh, you know, anti-inflammatory materials. Yes. So it's like really thinking about the safety. Whereas uh, back in the day, it was more kind of showcasing your your brand. And, yeah. you know, it was not so much about the safety of the drivers. It was more about the company. And it was a lot less functional in not only and not only in Formula One, right? If we take Le Mans and other other races, um, it's it's very similar story. So the, right. the functional clause was not around <laughs> initially, but then was gradually developed. Yeah, they started like in the 1970s. Uh, I mean, if when we see the famous fire accident from uh, Niki Lauda, he practically Practically uh, survived because uh, uh, his clothes uh, were fire resistant. Unfortunately, not uh, the helmets and not uh, uh, the gloves at that time. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay, and with this, uh, we are coming to the end of this uh, short, shorter episode. As always, we like to recommend, um, of course, uh, books. To read, if you yes. Like. <laughs> to read, to read, yes. yes. Yes, uh, don't just listen to us, you need to read something. Yeah. Exactly, and uh, we, I can really recommend uh, this book, uh, Ma Paolo Martin, uh, Pensieri in Tre Dimensioni, or Thinking in uh, Three Dimensions. It is uh, published in, it's one book, but it has the two uh, languages, Italian and English, and you can see all of its great uh, designs, like the spectacular cars as the Modulo, the, uh, of course, the Sigma, and uh, a lot of the streetcars uh, too, motorcycles. It's a little bit difficult to get this book as it's not on Amazon, but we put here a link and we will also put it in the comments um, in uh, YouTube. Yeah, if you want YouTube. to see the Sigma Grand Prix uh, in person, you can do so in uh, Turin at the Pininfarina Museum. Absolutely, and um, uh, you know, the, the other reason to, to get this book is not only just to look at the designs, but you can also study Italian if, if you are not right. fluent in it. Because, uh, you know, very often one of the best ways to learn the language is to actually get a text in two languages and compare. Right. So, um, so that's another consideration to get this book. Yeah, but uh, exactly. But definitely, and, uh, I mean, we, if you're watching us on YouTube, I just wanted to, to say that you again see 
uh, uh, see this this design uh, at the uh, uh, kind of on the on the cover where you know you you cannot really understand how it could possibly <laughs> move, but that okay. makes yeah, but but that that makes it uh, weird and wonderful. But it is it, it is actually a car that that was you know you could actually put on the road and it will drive. Yeah. Exactly, and uh, I mean, if you're already on YouTube, you can uh, search for it. There are some videos where uh, you see this car in uh, action. It's, I mean, it's quite interesting. If you look at it, it would you would assume it's uh, it is so future futuristic. Uh, it would have like an electric drive silent, but it really has a conventional Ferrari 12-cylinder engine. So it uh, uh, makes uh, some good uh, noise. Yeah, and to, to to be fair, I mean, it it looks. Um, I mean, it's quite uh, still quite square, but uh, it looks uh, much like the uh, self-driving car, yeah, right. right? Of 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 today. So most uh, self-driving cars are kind of looking very similar. Of course, they are they are more round. Uh, they are more kind of shaped uh, uh, in aerodynamic ways. But uh, yeah, essentially, that's that's the the concept the concept is the same correct and so as a, as a, as a fun fact uh, paolo martin um, designed a successor for this car the modulo 2 which uh, should have been based on the uh, ferrari um, enzo but uh, as i said this uh, unfortunately this project was never realized so it exists uh, on paper you can see it inside the book but uh, really nobody realized it maybe later i mean if you have a Ferrari yes. Enzo, you want to change it, uh, you can do it. Yes. <laughs> yes. So if you want, if you want to experiment, uh, there you go. There is a, a a free design for you in this book right. that was never implemented, which is quite cool. Quite a cool project if you are an enthusiast. Right. Yeah. With that, uh, thanks a lot for. For watching us or for listening to us on, um, uh, in, in the podcast forum and we are now like there was a big change from the previous weeks as we are now on amazon music and we're also on audible right so that's that's that that deserves a round of applause thank you thank you <laughs> Well, as to you always Patrick, of course. <laughs> as you always, always recommend uh, reading books, of course, you can also listening to books. And uh, so if you do so via Audible, you can also continue clicking and find uh, this podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thanks a lot and we'll see you next time. Thank you. See you next time. <laughs>